Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board for this week's show and plenty of uh, newsworthy items going around. And we'll start right off where we were, well, not quite where we left off uh, last week, uh, but close enough. And uh, that, of course, is the confirmation that Mick Schumacher, son of uh, seven-time world champion Michael, has been indeed confirmed as signing a contract with the the Ferrari Driver Academy. So he, uh, of course, won the Formula 3 championship last year, and he's been linked uh, to a move with uh, or uh, an official role with the Ferrari Driver Program for some time now, and these uh, rumors heated up about a week ago with a lot of unconfirmed uh, reports floating around, and it was confirmed end of last week, or on, I think it was on Saturday morning, that uh, that he is indeed going to be a part of the academy, and uh, he will be stepping up to Formula 2 for the next year, and he'll do so with the financial power and everything that comes with um, the linked, or that link that you have with uh, Ferrari. And uh, it's uh, really quite interesting because uh, he's uh, joining a bunch of other uh, drivers in the program, including Giuliano Alesi, who is uh, the son of former Ferrari and um, other teams, of course, and that's Jean, um, Callum Illot, Marcus Armstrong, Robert Schwartzman, Enzo Fittipaldi, which is another famous name in Formula One because his granddad, Emerson, was a three-time world champion, and uh, Gianluca Petikoff. So um, Mick is likely going to get his first mileage in a Formula One car at uh, one of these, uh, or one of the in-season tests this year, and uh, that the teams are required to run run young drivers at uh two of the four days across the entire year. So in previous years, Ferrari has uh, given that uh, job to Antonio Giovinazzi, but uh, he's, of course, uh, going to be driving for Sauber this year alongside uh, Kimi Raikkonen. So uh, a big, big uh, move for uh, for young Schumacher. And he himself had the following to say, and I quote, It is more than obvious that Ferrari has a big place in my heart since I was born and also in the hearts of our family. So I'm delighted on a personal level, but about this opportunity. So <laughs> big news. Absolutely. And the uh, uh, Ferrari team boss, uh, Mattia Bonato, who was an engineer during Ferrari's uh, dominance in the early 2000s, in which uh, Mick's dad, Michael, won five world champions or championships and a whole bunch of constructors for the famed Italian mark. And uh, Bonato said, for someone like me who's known him from birth, there's no doubt welcoming Mick into Ferrari has a special emotional meaning. But we have chosen him for his talent and the human and professional qualities that have already distinguished him despite his young age. 
you know, um, Schumacher is going to be working with uh, another famous name that is uh, linked with uh, Ferrari, and that's Tote. And that is not it's not Jean, because he's uh, the, the president of the, the FIA, but his son, Nicolas, uh, runs a, a management company. And uh, so he's going to be linking up uh, with, uh, with him. And uh, that's uh, all road uh, management. And... Uh, <laughs> Like I say, big news. But I was thinking too. It's it's very very interesting when uh, you you look at the the age of Mick Schumacher, just nineteen, and you look at some of the other young drivers in Formula One. I mean, you you look at um, uh, Max Verstappen, for example, who of course has come up uh, through the Red Bull uh, program and is, has stuck there. And now, what with uh, Ricardo off to uh, Renault, is the guy at uh, at Renault. And I think that uh, that was a very well played move on uh, Max's and uh, his dad uh, Yoss's part. Uh, think to stay patient and stay with the uh, Red Bull because there was some talk uh, when he was at Toro Rosso that maybe uh, I think he was linked with a, a reserve driver role at uh, at Mercedes but uh, he definitely played his cards right but uh, I, I think it's interesting when you see a guy like uh, like Mick Schumacher who's obviously a, a very talented driver uh, not getting uh, that that opportunity in Formula One that some of these other youngsters uh, have but you have to think just with the, uh, the, the the qualities and the records that he has so far going into uh, the, the Ferrari Driver Academy is, is just going to help polish the skills and, uh, and, and really maybe be more of a finishing school, if, uh, if anything, if you want to look at it uh, that way. And uh, it, it just seems really like it's going to be a question of not if, but when we see uh, Mick Schumacher in Ferrari. And it makes you wonder, or sorry, <laughs> in Formula One. And definitely for Ferrari, but uh, I was just thinking to myself again, I wonder if uh, his first opportunities in Formula One might come in a a Ferrari customer team like Haas or maybe uh, Sauber. Of course, Sauber seems to be uh, set up for the next uh, couple of years, but uh, things can change and uh, never uh, underestimate the influence and the power that Ferrari can wield in not only their their own team, but in Formula One as a whole. So uh, very possible that uh, they could make something happen now uh, moving along and uh, this uh, this is not exactly uh news news we got so i've got some juicy quotes that we're going to get to in, in a minute here but uh, this was something that i saw on uh, motorsport.com a couple of days ago and i just wanted to, to bring it up because they've uh, compiled a list of the 2019 entry fees for all 10 formula one teams and so the each year the price increases based on the u.s consumer price index and it means uh, for 2019 all the teams on the grid have to pay, pay a basic entry fee of $546,133 and then an extra amount depending where they finished uh, last year. So the, um, the the constructors champion, which is Mercedes, has to pay $6,553 per point scored while all the other teams pay $5,459 per point. <laughs> so uh, the, 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 of course we know everything in Formula One is big money, but uh, this kind of puts, uh, it, it really is an eye opener because the, the cost just to field a team, and you'll you'll see here in a minute just what the costs are for, for the top three especially. This is just to, to be able to race in Formula One. This has nothing to do with all the other expenses of uh, materials, research and development, driver salaries, the salaries for all the staff or whatever it might be so it's just a, again it's just a absolutely mind-blowing to think that the, the money that is invested in formula and even by the smaller modest teams 
they're all forking out a, a substantial amount of money. And it just uh, kind of gives you a, a new sense of appreciation that the the big teams, the uh, the, the financial clout, the, the the financial means that they have to, uh, to, to race in Formula One each and every year is uh, impressive. Anyway, so at the top of the list, of course, we have uh, Mercedes. Their 2018 fee was $4,653,720. That's going up by a couple hundred thousand dollars for this year. And that will be for, uh, well, I'm not going to read it down to the dollar, else we'll be here all night. But their entry fee for 2019 is uh, just a hair over $4.8 million. Second place is uh, Ferrari 2018. They came in just a hair over $3.2 million. 2019 entry fee for the Scuderia is uh, 3.6 million. Red Bull uh, this year they're having to pay $400,000 more, which uh, bumps their entry fee to 2.8. Renault and this is where the big drop off is is uh, once you uh, you get out and of, of course if you're going by point scored in the World Championship, of course it's going to all be between Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull because once you get to to or sorry yeah yes uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull I thought I said Renault but <laughs> they're fourth on the list with uh, uh, 1.2 million dollars. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you see already once you get outside the big three, they're already dropping down. Uh, Haas, surprisingly, are in it just a hair over $1 million in entry fees. Uh, McLaren, $884,000. Racing points. Now, th this is interesting because their 2018 fee, they had a, a pretty decent uh, season in uh, 2017. Um, they uh, came in to, for last year at uh, about $1.5 million for an entry fee. But this year, their 2019 fee is only $830,000. And of course, there is an asterisk uh, beside that one because Racing Point didn't exist <laughs> until the second half of the, uh, the, the Formula One season last year. And of course, that uh, all had to do with uh, the team going into receivership after Sergio Perez basically forced them that way uh, because of a non-payment of uh, of driver or of his salaries and everything else, which really set the team up. And uh, I, I'm sure there must have been some discussions with uh, Lawrence Stroll because it was uh, his group, his consortium that stepped in, saved the team, got them out of administration, and has uh, really pointed them again in the uh, the, the right uh, direction. But the thing is, they lost all the points that they they had accumulated up to that point in uh, in 2018. So they started in Belgium with a with a fresh slate. So their entry fee for 2019 is basically halved. It's not quite 50% uh, of what it was, but anyways, they go from 1.5 a million down to $830,000. Sauber, of course, uh, has seen an increase. Uh, last year, they were paying $541,000. This year, just a hair over $800,000. Toro Rosso, is, uh, they've gone down, <laughs> actually. Uh, last year, uh, just under eight hundred grand, and uh, 2019 is $726,000. And uh, Williams, well, no surprise here, considering I think they only scored seven points in 2018. So they, their 2018 fee was uh, about nine hundred and fifty dollars uh, this year, they're coming in at about $584,000. So they're going to be able to spend or save a little bit of money, which hopefully they'll be able to uh, <laughs> to spend elsewhere. But uh, again, I mean, absolutely mind-boggling numbers for uh, especially the big three teams and just... Uh, it uh, it never gets old. Uh, I, I can say that much uh, when, when I look at the amount of money that gets uh, splashed around in Formula One. So the next item that I wanted to talk about, and this is maybe not so 
super newsworthy, but uh, it sort of segues and leads into the next story uh, quite nicely. But I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it last weekend, but the Race of Champions went down in uh, Mexico City, and it was uh, held at the Foro Sol Stadium, which uh, many of you may recognize or remember as the stadium section in the latter part of the uh, the, the track at Hermanos, uh, sorry, Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, where they have the, uh, the, the Mexican Grand Prix, and they come around the back of the circuit and then into that tight windy section and it's kind of cool because the stands are broken there and the uh, the, the track actually goes right through the middle of the stadium so they had the, uh, the 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 race of champions there and it was won by a Mexican rally driver by the name of Benito Guerrera and he beat out Formula One stars Sebastian Vettel and uh, Pierre Gasly so Guerrera he uh, competes in WRC2 and well, it's uh, kind of interesting because they, uh, they they talk about that he beat four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, basically knocking him out of the uh, the, the competition. And then he finished uh, second in Group C to uh, Mick Schumacher, another Ferrari driver, of course. And um, they're also another uh, well-known name is uh, a fellow Mexican, Esteban Gutierrez, who was in uh, Formula One a couple of years ago and is the, the current simulator driver for uh, Mercedes-Benz. And also... Uh, uh, he he faced off with a uh, Red Bull driver Pierre Gasly in the quarterfinal, and then thrilled uh, his fellow Mexicans by knocking the Frenchman out of the the, the competition. So, well done to him. But <laughs> this leads nicely into the uh, to the next um, story that I wanted to mention, especially when you think about how Guerrera knocked Vettel out uh, in the in the group stage. And uh, I'm going to bring up a, a name from the past, a blast from the past if you will and that is former formula 1 or sorry uh, ferrari and jaguar driver eddie irvine who is labeled four-time world champion sebastian vettel as massively overrated and a, a quote one trick Pony. So Irvine raced uh, with Ferrari from 1996 to 1999, earned uh, four victories driving Ferrari in that 1999 season. And that, of course, if you uh, remember going way back when, 20 years ago, and I remember this uh, like it was yesterday almost, and that is the the year that Michael Schumacher broke his leg when he had an accident uh, at Silverstone. And Irvine, I mean, he really stepped up. I mean, give him credit. Uh, he, he did well that year and uh, was able to to, to push Mika Hakkinen in the, in the world championship, but uh, couldn't quite uh, uh, pull it off. Anyways, uh, Irvine uh, said that, uh, among other things, he doesn't watch Formula One any- anymore because it bores him. And uh, he he even, well, he wasn't uh, just uh, throwing shade at Seb Vettel, but uh, he also questioned uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, credentials because he said that um, that Lewis faces what he calls debatable competition. <laughs> so, well, he does make one fair point, and he says that Hamilton is in a different league to the the other guys that his you know who are his rivals, uh, which is true. I mean, uh, I, I don't think there is any question that you have in in this era of Formula One, as it stands right now. Over the past several years, you have Lewis Hamilton in one category, all, all on his own, and then you have everyone else. 
And of course, uh, you had uh, Nico Rosberg, who was his uh, teammate for a couple of seasons that uh, that pushed him uh, quite hard at times. And at other times, uh, quite often, uh, Lewis was able to put uh, Nico in his place. But be that as may, uh, Rosberg was able to secure a single world championship during the, the, the time the two of them were, were together. And then, of course, uh, we've seen over time, especially over the past two seasons, we've seen Ferrari really become more prominent and uh, be a more competitive uh, threat uh, each and every weekend, more or less. Uh, but Irvine not being very generous uh, with his uh, with his uh, with his uh, praise. Well, he's not really putting out any praise at all. But uh, he does said that, or did say that he does believe that uh, that Lewis Hamilton is not even close to Michael's league. And of course, he's uh, referring to seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher, who was his teammate at uh, Ferrari for quite a number number of years. And uh, he went on just to explain a little bit more why he thinks that uh, that Vettel's overrated. Uh, and he said that he thinks that uh, Seb is good if he's at the front and he doesn't have anyone to race. But he said, if you watch Lewis race, he's focused on racing and getting ahead. And he said, if, but if you're watching Vettel and when R- Vettel is racing someone, he is so much focused on the other guy as he's where he's going and he inv- and inevitably crashes into the other guy. And well, how many times did we see that uh, evidenced this past season? I <laughs> think of several examples right off the top of my head, uh, which, you you know, we don't really need to dig it up all over again, but it, uh, it it seemed that every time he was racing wheel to wheel with somebody, it really seemed like it was going to end in tears. Well, especially if you're uh, Sebastian Vettel. So that again, that probably is a, a pretty uh, uh, accurate comment by uh, Eddie Irvine. And uh, well, you look at um, that uh, that Irvine was also saying that he was a better overtaker than Schumacher, but has too many off days compared to uh, Schumacher or even to uh, to Ayrton Senna. And you know that, that that's an interesting comment as well. And uh, we we've seen that uh, discussed a couple of times. That we've seen. Well, I mean, when Lewis is focused and and he's in the groove and he's flying, there's no one that can come near him. I mean, especially when you're in a Mercedes, you've got the best car out there. And when when you have Lewis and he's dialed in, you can't get uh, really near him or that uh, Mercedes, uh, no matter how hard you try. I mean, they really, really have to have a a bad day at the track if uh, you're really going to push them. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, there have been a a couple of instances over the years where uh, that that, that Lewis really hasn't been focused. And, you know, there's been like these questions out there about his lifestyle and his interests outside of Formula One and whether or not that's been a distraction. And then, of course, the, the, the questions that inevitably come um, you know, when you've won multiple world championships like that uh, Lewis Hamilton has, and of course he's got five now, just whether or not the desire is still there. And uh, well, <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting because when, when you see Lewis, when he's winning, he seems very happy. But uh, when he's not winning and uh, things don't go as well uh, or go his way on the track, uh, he, he seems very, very upset. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it, it just seems to me that he either seems he's having a lot of fun out there. He really enjoys it. But if it's uh, if it's not a win, then he just seems uh, really beat up about it and really uh, unhappy and uh, just a 
doesn't look like he wants uh, wants to be there. But and um, but interesting comments of uh, uh, from Eddie Irvine, and uh, one of the final comments uh, he said that uh, the and he again he said that uh, in this interview that he had with uh, BBC Northern Ireland uh, was that he said that Formula One is incredibly boring, and uh, and and it's just too perfect almost that the cars are too uh, too perfect, and if you make a mistake, he said you don't pay a price. And that's uh, a direct uh, quote from what he said. So, I mean, I, I, I'm going to date myself now. Sadly, I've gotten to that uh, that stage in my life. But I remember when I was a kid uh, back in the 1980s, and uh, in those days, that that's uh, before. I, I, well, I still uh, remember vaguely when the the, the semi automatic gearboxes came in. That would have been about the 89, 90 thereabouts. And then, of course, a couple of weeks ago, I did this show on the uh, the FW 14B. Who had uh, it had active suspension? It had uh, ABS. It had uh, the, the the automatic gearbox. All this groundbreaking technology and this phenomenal uh, uh, Renault RS3 engine in the back. It really was uh, an absolutely incredible car. So I mean, the technology evolved very quickly and uh, and got very advanced. And uh, that those those cars really set the ground for the the current era of Formula One. I mean, uh, it it really did. Even though a lot of that technology has uh, been banned, but it's true uh, that what, what he's saying that if you make a mistake, you don't pay a price. And especially back in those days, you know, <laughs> you still had the little gear shift on the one side of the cockpit. And uh, I remember on the odd occasion when uh, they they did have a camera, like an onboard camera, you could see the driver trying to re- trying to reengage the car and, and get, uh, you know, he would not be able to select the gear that he wanted, and uh, that would uh, definitely <laughs> cause some problems. But also. And, you know, the the aerodynamics really make it difficult, of course, and we were talking about it last week, just about how the the, the new changes for the aero for for 2019, the real hope is that by cleaning up the airflow and the simplified front wings and barge boards are really going to be able to clean up that dirty air that comes off of the cars and they're going to be able to to get closer and race. But I mean, the the, the impressive thing about the cars right now is the the, the downforce that they have and just uh, the, uh, the, the way that they stick to the track going through the corners but rarely do you see a driver make a, a, a big mistake the the mistakes that we tend to see is a driver that's a break too late and, and locked it up and ends up going off of the track or uh, it's a, just a, a botched overtaking maneuver and we don't really see that uh, these um, situations too much that the, the the driver just isn't able to take the car by the scruff of the neck and uh, and really push it and and, and really bend its will or, or bend it to, to do what he wants to do. So uh, a fair enough uh, comment uh, from, from Eddie Irvine. He was always outspoken like that and uh, always, uh, you know, he had a, a certain amount of flair and he was, uh, well, as my brother would always say, he calls a, a spade a spade, but a spade, I should say. But uh, Eddie Irvine is definitely not a name that's really popped up much in uh <laughs> in recent years but he definitely hasn't uh, lost any of his uh his style but uh moving along to the next juicy quote that's in the news uh, this week and this comes also from uh, motorsport.com and Renault driver Danny Ricardo says that uh, the fact that Red Bull did not allow him test for Red Bull at the end of 2018 says that they are afraid and he said that he found it quite flattering, did not allow him to test for his new team early. And, uh, well, that 
definitely a very gutsy statement uh, for Ricardo uh, to make, but I think uh, that maybe a more accurate way to put it is that they're not afraid that he's going to the team that uh, formerly supplied their engines, but I think maybe it's just uh, in in some sense that they're not making it easy for the guy uh, going off to his uh, new team and not uh, doing him or the team uh, any favors because now he's going to have to wait until preseason testing gets underway in a couple of weeks. And uh, I have to wonder if it's a a certain amount of uh, payback, because if you uh, remember last year in uh, in the the, the beginning and middle of the summer, right up until Hungary, just before the summer break at the uh, the end of July, there was uh, plenty of uh, talk out there that uh, Danny Ricardo was on the verge of signing a contract uh, extension or a new contract with uh, Red Bull Racing. And uh, at that time, it basically sounded like all that needed to happen as the I's needed to be dotted and the T's needed to be crossed. So it was basically details and they weren't very far away from uh, watching Danny Ricardo put pen to paper and sign up uh, for another multi-year deal. But uh, that just uh, didn't happen. And instead, all of a sudden he announces that he won't be going back to Red Bull and is in fact going to to drive for for Renault instead. And uh, so (laughs) that's a a, a big, uh, interesting uh, comment. And I, I think obviously it's uh, just uh, shown uh, that uh, that that he's completely broken free of Renault. Uh, I mean, he did say uh, not so long ago that uh, he enjoyed his time there. And of course, he's got a lot of good memories. He got his first win in Formula One and got quite a few there during the, 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 the past couple of years and uh, was um, quite successful almost right from the, the, the very beginning. If you go back to 2014, when he was paired with Sebastian Vettel and Seb's last year Red Bull uh, and that was uh, Ricardo's first year with the uh, with the works team rather than uh, you know after being moved up from uh, from Toro Rosso and he outperformed Seb that year so definitely uh, he grew as a driver and uh, he was rewarded for his uh, hard work and had a good car and well, the engine sometimes, the, the, the Renault in the back left a, a little bit to, to be desired, to uh, to say the very least, but definitely no love lost there. But there, there's still um, several other uh, items, and uh, uh, Renault is also saying that his big money deal is uh, is, is good business, and it's a it's a, a good value for Renault, and that uh, comes from uh, Cyril Abitpool, who's the uh, managing director of uh, uh, Renault's Formula One team, and uh, they, they quite, you know, a lot of people did question Ricardo's decision to move uh, from uh, from from Red Bull into Renault. I mean, uh, Renault is still trying to to get back to the top of uh, Formula One. They've improved a little bit each and every year, and uh, they've been saying that they've made a lot of progress in the car for 2019, but uh, that won't be uh, proven one way or another until uh, we we actually get to to Australia in in a couple of months. It's uh, always interesting to to watch them in testing, but it's not really a good indication uh, of how the car is re- really going to perform against uh, its competitors. I mean, it, they don't, you know, they, they shake them down in various ways, of course. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was a, a big gutsy move. But uh, Renault uh, obviously are uh, really pleased to, to have him. And it's, it's not a move without risk, but it could obviously uh, pay off. And uh, Ricardo said that uh, he's not fooled 
by his new teammates, uh, Nico Hulkenberg's uh, record, uh, because he, he believes that, uh, that even though that uh, Nico Hulkenberg has never recorded a podium in Formula One, and, uh, and I mean, Hulkenberg does have a fairly, uh, decent uh, resume. I mean, he won Le Mans in 2015, obviously a massive, uh, achievement. And, uh, but in 156 Grand Prix starts, which is, you know, quite a substantial uh, resume in Formula One, he still doesn't have a single podium. And uh, Ricardo, on the other hand, at uh, seven wins and 29 podiums and five years at uh, at Red Bull, is going to partner Hulkenberg uh, this year, of course, at Renault for the very first time. So uh, that 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 is true. I mean, uh, I, I think that Hulkenberg uh, is a good driver, but see, that doesn't necessarily ever had a, a car that could put him on the podium although I believe when uh, he was still partnered with uh, Sergio Perez uh, the other year when uh, Perez finished what was it third at the uh, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in Baku whatever it was maybe it was second I can't remember uh, I think that was the year that Stroll finished third in that kind of really exciting exciting finish anyways uh, there there have been opportunities uh, for them but he uh, R- Ricardo goes on is uh, to say that uh, that everybody in uh, in Formula one knows of the caliber of uh, of Nico Hulkenberg and uh that uh, then he goes on to say from the outside that you can think he's done 200 races or whatever never had a podium but we all know that he isn't that level of driver so I know I'll need to bring all of this not only to beat him but also to help fast hack the team to progress so there you go interesting uh, comment and then the final uh, piece of uh, Renault news is that uh, Jerome Stoll will uh, continue as uh, president of uh, Renault Sporting Division vision uh, despite the fact that it was announced that he had been replaced a couple of months ago and uh, that was uh, supposed to be uh, the executive vice president of sales and marketing Thierry Koskas and he was supposed to take over the job uh, or take over Stoll's job on uh, January 1st so about three weeks ago and uh, <laughs> Renault announced this past Friday that Koskas is not going to be do so because he had left the, the, the company and Stoll would stay in his current role and uh, he's actually he's been with Renault since uh, 1980, 64 years old, and uh, became president of the sporting arm in uh, in 2016. And uh, Renault said in November that uh, Koskas would uh, report to Chief, Chief Executive Carlos Goshen, uh, who was the CEO of uh, Renault and Nissan, but uh, he was arrested in Japan at the end of last year facing um, uh, accusations of uh, financial misconduct, and uh, Nissan has now accused uh, Goshen of uh, having received a 6.9 million euros in what they call improper payments. And uh, even though he was ousted from his position of CEO of Nissan, Goshen has uh, still kept his job at Renault. So uh, I believe that the um, uh, that the uh, F1, they basically report almost uh, directly to Goshen. I think uh, obviously uh, they, they go through Stoll and then from Stoll it goes right up to the very big, uh, big boss. So this is an, another uh, interesting one out there, and uh, well, I'm not going to try and get too much detail because I'm not uh, not in Britain, so I don't quite understand or know all the uh, the details on uh, Brexit. So, uh, British friends, correct me if I get anything incorrect. And uh, this uh, has to do with a, a story that's uh, out there that uh, that Formula One teams want to discuss a letter to uh, British Prime Minister Theresa May as uh, fears over a new 
deal in Brexit is uh, is possible. And uh, David Richards, uh, who is the head of uh, Britain's Racing Authority Motorsport to UK, has been lobbying the British government over the uh, impending exit from the European uh, Union. And uh, he spoke with a, a number of Formula One teams last week about the issue. So uh, a deal that has been negotiated by uh, May uh, regarding Brexit uh, was rejected by the MPs in the, the House of Commons uh, uh, earlier this week by 230 votes, which is the largest defeat suffered by a British government in the House of Commons uh, in 100 years since the First World War. So obviously that is a, a very rare uh, occurrence. So there are uh, big concerns that when uh, Britain uh, le- could leave the EU on uh, March 29th of this year without a deal, which uh, could mean, among other things, that there would be no agreed customs or trade uh, arrangement with uh, other uh, countries in the EU. And uh, this could uh, cause problems for the F1 teams traveling from the UK into the European uh, countries, which hosts uh, nine of 10 races from uh, the middle of May to early September. Usually the first one is uh, is Monaco and the last one usually is the Italian Grand Prix at, uh, at Monza. And uh, last week, uh, prior to the vote in the House of Commons, um, uh, representatives from three F1 teams spoke with uh, with Richards and uh, the identity identities of which three teams are being kept private at this uh, point but it says includes one of the biggest on the grid so <laughs> i mean we can rule ferrari out because they're not based in the the, the uk but who knows they're they're, in, they're they're obviously involved but uh, you'd have to think that uh, mercedes would be one of them because of course they're based in uh, in the uk at least the formula 1 team is and um and uh, richards was saying that uh, regardless of the the political uh, argument in favor of britain leaving the eu or remaining part of it uh, a no deal brexit needs uh, to be avoided and uh, the teams believe that speaking collectively would be uh, stronger than raising concerns uh, individually obviously there's a strength in uh, in numbers and uh, so they're 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 worried uh, that uh, a no deal brexit would um, would impact their ability to move goods and uh, people across uh, borders in, in europe and uh, Obviously, when uh, there's a lot of uh, country hopping going on, and uh, like we saw last year, we had, what was it, the three races in three consecutive weeks? What was it, Britain, uh, France, and the German Grand Prix? I think those were the, the, the three. I mean, it was one right after the other. It was the first time we had a, a triple header in Formula One, so that uh, would uh, obviously be uh, very, very uh, difficult. And uh, it could really uh, threaten viabilities of teams having major uh, uh, operations in the UK. Uh, Silverstone is basically the Silicon Valley. Uh, of course, Silicon Valley is, uh, the, the, the home of all these, uh, tech giants in, uh, in California and, um, uh, and uh, Silverstone in England, of course, uh, there's a lot of t- teams based near there. And uh, so that obviously uh, could be a big issue. So seven of Formula One teams are based in Britain and 45 of 61 Constructors Championships have been won by a team based in the United Kingdom. So <laughs> that basically accounts for every title that wasn't won by Ferrari. So uh, sit about uh, or sit back and, and think about that uh, for a moment. 
All right. So uh, we, we uh, talked about it a, a little bit earlier and or at least uh, alluded and mentioned them. But Sauber is the team to watch in 2019. And uh, this is not from uh, the, the mouth of uh, anybody at Sauber, but uh, this comes from two of it, uh, its main midfield rivals. And uh, they were one of the, the most improved teams in Formula One this uh, the, this past year. And I still think it's a great story because uh, you look uh, in, in 2017, they were there just basically to make up the numbers with a, a car that uh, had an a, a, an engine in it that was uh, not designed to be in the back of that car because between 2016 and 2017 so many things changed and that 2016 customer engine that uh, that they had just was not up to scratch and Pascal Verline and Marcus Ericsson just were not uh, competitive all year long they were just uh, at the back but even before that they seemed uh, a little bit on um on life support almost they just uh, looked i mean they they they've never obviously been a team that's uh, going to challenge for a world championship but uh, they they were a decent team for for quite a number of years and uh, they just really seemed like they were struggling but uh, lo and behold it uh, all of a sudden i think it was about a year and a half ago um uh the the team principal uh, Manisha Kaltenborn, she's out, and then uh, you know there's new t- lifeblood into the team, and they're they're just doing things right, and and obviously they're doing things good enough that uh, it convinced uh, Kimi Raikkonen to uh, to go and sign there for a couple more years. I mean, Kimi's a world champion. He's raced uh, for McLaren. He's raced for Ferrari, Lotus. I mean, he he's been around. I mean, he's had a, a pretty good career in Formula One, despite a a, a sabbatical uh, in the middle there. But he doesn't need the 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 money. I mean, uh, he's still racing because, um, you know, he, he enjoys it, obviously. And uh, they're, they're doing something there if they, they can uh, convince Kimmy to go there. So it's really going to be, I think, fun to watch and see how they can uh, build on the year that they last year. Because, I mean, Charles Leclerc, I mean, he did a phenomenal job. And uh, he really did uh, outperform his uh, former teammate, Marcus Erickson, now off to IndyCar for, for 2019. But uh, it, it really is a team that uh, seems like they're 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 moving forward and of course i think they're really benefiting from that uh, alfa romeo title sponsorship that they have and the money that comes with it and it's a strength and technical uh, departments and the, the the links that they have with uh, with uh, ferrari and uh sergio perez uh says that they're, they're a great team and they he, they went through a difficult period for a couple of years and uh but with the ferrari relationship uh they're 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 coming back and uh, he goes on to say uh, you see fred vasseur who's the, uh, the the team principal is a great team leader and they're making that great progress and they're definitely a team to watch and um, Perez believes that uh, next year they're going to be uh, quite high up in the uh, in the grid and he says he's looking forward to that so uh also uh, another driver that uh, that had uh, things to say about or good things to say about that is um, uh, McLaren driver Carlos Sainz who says that we should quote all fear them <laughs> and then but he goes on to say next year we should fear everyone you think about Sauber but then you think about Force India with a bit more budget what they could be capable of and that is an excellent point that uh, that Carlos Sainz uh, makes because um, the Force India or Racing Point uh, they've uh, always been a team it's like the 
little engine that could. If you remember that uh, that child's tale from from way back when, they might not have always had all the the, the money and the backing and the means at their their disposal, but they have uh, punched above their weight uh, for years and have uh, developed and uh, built cars that uh, that that were uh, a lot more competitive than uh, than other teams that had uh, more resources than the, than they did. So I think that's a, a very astute comment that uh, that Carlos Sainz has made. And uh, sticking with Sauber, they have uh, officially uh, announced that uh, their team will uh, uh, reveal, losing my train of thought here, it's getting late guys, I apologize, but uh, they're going to uh, unveil the car on the first day of preseason testing, and that will be at Barcelona in the pit lane there on uh, February 18th. So less than a month away, and uh, there's always about that time, that that week uh, just before the uh, the uh, preseason testing starts, that there's a whole wave of uh, of uh, unveilings and the uh, the official launches of all the cars. So that that really is the kickoff to the season. And once uh, once preseason testing gets going, it really is just a, a matter of time. Anyways, uh, just a couple uh, more items to to go over just before we wrap it up. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. But there was this uh, concept car that was released uh, earlier this week by uh, McLaren that presents uh, what they call the Extreme 2050 Grand Prix concept car. So this was done by McLaren uh, Applied Technologies, which is uh, the the Formula One team's sister company. And uh, it's just their idea of what uh, Grand Prix racing could look like in 2050. So 30 years uh, from now. So part of the uh, their idea or their vision is uh, a car concept uh, uh, dubbed the MCL Extreme, a 500 kilometer per hour rear wheel drive electric po- car powered by a foldable battery molded into the aerodynamic package. The aero would be shape-shifting while the car technology would include an onboard AI co-pilot and self-healing tires. I think anybody that's ever had a flat tire on the the road driving uh, around would like the uh, the idea of a self-healing tire, but that's uh, kind of cool. And um, it's uh, not really the first time that they've done this. They uh, shared their uh, what they call the MP4X, and that was uh, back in December of 2015. But uh, their uh, their vision that they've uh, just released in this uh, extreme uh, concept is uh, it goes a lot further, assessing what the, the car driver tracks, fan experience. Experience uh, could uh, evolve into over the next uh, two or three um, uh, two or three decades, and uh, they say that they did uh, extensive research uh, research that included speaking to fans, assessing international policies on vehicle electrification and emissions uh, targets, and evaluating how human and car technology is likely to change over the next uh, twenty years. So uh, it's an idea for uh, racetracks that include uh, huge side-winding banks, pit lanes with the capacity for battery charging, and circuits that can adapt uh, to street, uh, to extreme weather. And if uh, you look at their uh, their uh, track vision for uh, for 2050, it really looks uh, kind of really out there. It it kind of reminds me if you have ever seen those old uh, like that old footage of like the 1950s and what uh, what space travel would uh, be like and 
and bases on the moon and all that kind of funny stuff. But it's uh, kind of funny. It, it looks more like a, a roller coaster or like a Hot Wheels set uh, more than uh, more than a racetrack. It almost looks like almost a little bit like slot cars, but it, it's pretty cool. Uh, but they, they, they talk out uh, about like blackout zones with no communication or AI assistance for, for the driver. And uh, the drivers at that point uh, would uh, have to wear specialized race suits reinforced uh, to handle extremely high speed. So almost sounds like something you would see like a G suit, uh, I suppose, that uh, that you see fighter pilots uh, wearing. And uh, they also go on to say that the uh, artificial intelligence uh, co-pilot uh, would learn from its driver whose emotion would be reflected on, on the chassis. So uh, some some pretty far out uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, whether it'll ever become a reality that, uh, of course, you know, that uh, that remains to be seen. I mean, uh, when, when you kind of look at some of the, uh, the the things that have been predicted over the years and, uh, you know, oh, well, by the year 2000, we'll all be living on the moon or there'll be flying cars or <laughs> whatever. All these different things that have come, uh, you know, been predicted that still haven't uh, manifested. Uh, it could be a stretch, but who knows? Maybe it will become a reality. But back to reality, uh, just to, to wind the show up now, uh, Sir Jackie Stewart, three-time world champion, says that he believes that top drivers are, def- are desperately missing coaches. And uh, he believes this is what he, uh, he says it's absolutely wrong. And uh, he, uh, he says that, uh, he, well, he doesn't understand that why racing drivers uh, think that they're so clever that they don't need coaches, but they, they have coaches for other things like uh, for, for strength and, con- and conditioning. But uh, you look at other sports like skiing, golf, tennis, equestrian, so many other sports at the top level, there, there, there is coaching. And uh, it is kind of interesting too, when, when, when you think about it, I mean, you, you look at any kind of profession across the board, I mean, not just in, in motor racing. And if you look at professionals in each one of those that, you know, the, the, the professional development uh, that they undergo, it's not like, it's like, oh, I became a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. And they just stop learning or trying to uh, improve uh, upon them. Of course, a lot of it, it is at that level, um, you know, natural talent and just to experience doing it. But of course, uh, it, it just, it makes sense when you hear Jackie Stewart uh, say, you know, saying something like that. And uh, he, he says that uh, going back in the day, he was so hungry to learn from uh, other people. And he was uh, lucky to have uh, Jim Clark to talk to. And he said he was the, the, the best racing driver that uh, that uh, that he ever uh, uh, raced with. And Stewart spent his first two seasons alongside Graham Hill, but was mentored by rivals. And uh, of course, uh, by the aforementioned uh, Jim Clark. So uh, it, uh, it it is an interesting uh, concept. And, uh, when, when you hear somebody like, uh, like Jackie Stewart, uh, mentioning that, uh, it really makes you stop and think. So I wonder if that, uh, could, uh, could take, uh, or plant some seeds with, uh, with, uh, with any formula one drivers. But if you're a guy that's won multiple world champions or championships, say like Lewis Hamilton or Sebastian Vettel, you're going to have to have somebody that's got some pretty good credentials or, or somebody that commands a lot of respect because you're, you know, how, how are you going to sell that? It's like, you know, Sebastian or Lewis, you need driving lessons. I can help you improve as a racing driver, but yet they're the ones that are a multiple Formula One uh, world champion. Anyways, just uh, one last uh, bit of news. And uh, this one I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, anyways, I thought I'd just uh, throw it in there. And um, Kevin Magnuson believes that what he calls the lack of blame culture 
culture at Haas is a, is a real strength of the team. And uh, he says that uh, he believes that, that that blame culture in other places has held back other teams that uh, that he's worked for and raced for in the, in, in the past. And uh, Haas, they, they were one of the surprises of uh, 2018, battling for a Renault for fourth place in the Constructors' Championship, uh, which was uh, their, their best result in, in Formula 1 so far. I mean, they've only been in. They only joined the sport uh, a couple of uh, years ago, and I still think there's a, a, a lot of room for uh, growth. There's still a lot of potential, and uh, well, I think they, they obviously left a lot of points out there on the track last year. The, the Romain Grosjean really struggled for a, a, a large portion of the season and, uh, well, either crashed out or wasn't able to, to, to finish races for, for one reason or another, so uh, definitely uh, they, they may have been able to, to strengthen that uh, position uh, on the track and in the constructors world championship if things have gone a, a little bit different so uh, but definitely uh i think that really does come to to play in it uh, just the, the the corporate culture that they have in the team in the factory in the office in the pits anywhere where the uh where, where the car is and i think that just goes for anywhere really uh i i mean we've all had our fair share of jobs uh obviously not in formula one for most of us living listening to this podcast but i can just speak from from personal experience that uh I, i've worked for companies on on both sides of that spectrum i've worked for companies that on paper were, were great employers and great companies that did impressive things but uh, you get there and they were just certain branches uh, of that company or certain areas where the where the environment was just toxic and people were, were miserable and things just did not go well and I've gone and I've worked for other companies including the one where I work now where the atmosphere is great and it really makes a big impact on uh, on 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 day-to-day activities just going about doing your job and it definitely does make uh, a big difference if there isn't and I know what this blame culture is like, and and I've seen it and experienced myself. And if people feel like if they're going to screw up and the, the, the whole world is going to come crashing down on their shoulders, then that's going to affect how they're going to do their jobs. And uh, so it, it just, uh, I, I think uh, it, it is uh, still a team to watch. And it uh, definitely makes me wonder whether or not they're going to be able to improve against that uh, th- this year. And, uh, well, uh, atmosphere is one thing, but, uh, designing and getting a car uh, the, or getting the car right for 2019 is, uh, is another thing. So, uh, I've heard these, uh, the, these sort of comments come out from, uh, you know, people in Haas uh, before over the past couple of years. So, uh, hopefully they're able to take this real positive atmosphere that, uh, that everybody seems to love and, uh, be able to improve upon what they've done in, in Formula One. Of course, they've got uh, ties to Ferrari as well. And, uh, not just uh, for the engine, but also in uh, the the technical side. So there are possibilities there. Anyways, uh, I think that's uh, about it uh, for for this week. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you uh, very much uh, for listening again this week. If you want to uh, get in touch with me, if you got a comment or a question or just uh, want to weigh in on one of the, uh, the the stories I've talked about, you can email me at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or you can just throw a tweet my way on Twitter at scuderiaf1pod. Anyways, that's a wrap. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this show. Uh, take it easy. We'll talk to you again this time next week, which means we are one week closer to the start of the 2019 Formula One season. And well, I know it's a long way away, but each week closer to the start of the green or the lights turning green in Australia in March is a good thing. Anyways, 
guys, that's a wrap. I'm out of here. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, SportsPodcastingNetwork.com. space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?